0: because my risk, my biggest risk, I think, or my biggest fear is public failure. So anytime you put yourself out there and you say, I'm gonna do this thing, I mean, whether it's like selling a piece of art or talking somewhere, doing a public speaking event or publishing a book or whatever, you know, your hope and prayer is that people are gonna show up, but you have no control over whether or not they're gonna show up.
1: Hey there again, and welcome back to Better Stories, uh, Season 2, Episode 2. So excited uh, to be back with you all today. Hope you're hanging in there. Hope you're washing your hands. That should never stop. Just keep that going. That's a new normal, right? If you didn't wash your hands before, we've learned our lesson. We're going to keep rolling with that from here on out. Today's episode uh, is so fun, so special. Carrie and I were able to reconnect with one of her... um, Longest Friendships, uh, a a lady who is an incredible writer, speaker, dreamer, creative, entrepreneur, um, Chris Camilli, who is doing just some incredible things, writing some incredible books, um, hosting a retreat, Refine, the retreat for women every year. And we had the privilege of sitting down with Chris, catching up, hearing about her latest uh projects creative enterprises all the things that she's getting into and by the way she is an amazing and inspiring mother of four they homeschool they do just incredible things and so what a great conversation we had with chris camilli season two episode two of better stories Enjoy. so we'll jump in welcome to better stories another episode finally of uh better stories I am with my wife, Carrie, and her best friend, one of her best friends in the whole world, our guest today, Chris Camilli. And um, Chris is the author of Everything is Yours, How Giving God Your Whole Heart Changes Your Whole Life. Um, She's also written a book called Come, Lord Jesus, The Weight of Waiting, and Holy, 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 A Lenten Journey of Refinement. And I know not only that, but Chris has also... Uh, become the founder and director of Refine the Retreat, a retreat and a space for uh, has lots to say. And so that's the formal introduction, but now I'm going to make Carrie introduce her as best friend extraordinary whatever you want to say oh my
2: goodness i don't even know what to say or where to begin except that um I have known, I call her Chrissy. You're still Chrissy to me. So mm-hmm. I've known Chrissy since um, our college days back in like 1998, I think, is when you transferred. It's been so Kiddos. long. Kiddos. You were kids. We were babies. I knew we were babies. <laughs> and um, I got the awesome opportunity of having her as a roommate for a year before she left and got married super young and moved far, far away to Florida. But we have been able to uh, stay connected um, over the years and um, be in each other's weddings and just still maintain that relationship, run a 10-mile race together several years ago and all that fun stuff. So, so
1: welcome, Chris. Yay. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Thank you guys for having me.
1: Would you, would you just add to that? Tell us about your family. Tell us where you are. Tell us um, just anything about yourself that, that you want to put out there.
0: Sure. Sure. Um, I live in a little town called Galena, Ohio, which is a suburb of Columbus, and we've been here for like 15 years, I think, about 15 years. I've been married to my uh, high school sweetheart husband for 20 years, and we have four kids, 16, 14, 12, and 10. And, um, I think you mentioned that we homeschool. So my days are full, full, full. I have no, no, no quote unquote free time.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. So well, I, I like to think of myself as a writer, but I don't do it consistently like you do. And I'm fascinated. How, how do you get all that going? How do, how do you, four kids, husband's, homeschool and you're putting out books like nobody's business, it sounds like. So, so talk about what, what does life look like? How did you get there and, and how has that become your, your thing?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. People always ask that, like, how do you do it? And I'm like, I don't know, the same way everybody else does. Like, you just get up in the morning and you do what you got to do. But I mean, like, technically, I'm an I'm an early riser. I'm a morning person. So when I'm in um, the midst of a project, uh, it's probably getting done between the hours of 4 and 8 a.m., Um Four would be like my fantasy time. There are times where I can get up at four if I'm really on like a deadline or something like that, or the Lord just won't let me sleep. Um, but generally, um, it's probably like getting up at five and just trying to get some work done before the kids are all up and moving. Now that they're teenagers, it's a little easier. They're not getting up very early. <laughs> so that has helped tremendously in that respect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just sort of like I'm a scheduled person, so I need a schedule. And having a schedule for our days helps me kind of try to figure out where to squeeze it in. But writing is really squeezed in between the cracks. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't live that writer's life where you have like, oh, I've got these six hours today where I can just sit and write. It's it's never like that. It's like I've got an hour. Let me see what I can crank out okay. or, you know, in the middle of like, my kids are doing a math lesson and I'm over there on my laptop, like (laughs) like trying to get it done.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and so talk a little bit about, um, your latest project, this, this book and the retreat and just the things that are, that are consuming your heart. What are, what are you giving yourself to and, and why, why are you passionate about those things? What's, what's coming to the forefront?
0: Yeah. Um, I appreciate that the, um, so I guess I'll start I'll start with the book and then talk about the retreat because I actually tell the story in um, Everything is Yours. I tell the story of how the retreat came to be. Um, I never, ever had the vision for like hosting an event like that. That was never on my radar for something that I was going to do. But this book project I have worked on for the last five years off and on. It was was a lot of starts and stops and uh, little side road detours and things like that along the way. Um, but it really was a book that just wouldn't leave me alone. It was just constantly in the back of my mind that I was going to have to finish this book one way or another. Um, really, the message of it is about surrender. And that message um, is sort of the message that I never went looking for it. I wouldn't have picked that topic to ever want to write about or talk about because I don't think it's very popular. It's not a feel good um, you know, topic like some of the things that we maybe prefer to read about talking about submitting our, our desires and our will, um, to a purpose that's greater than ourselves. And I think that's not very, um, that's really not how we function in our culture. I don't think generally speaking. And so, um, this wouldn't have been a a book that I would have chosen to write, but again, it was one that just kept burning in my heart really. And I just couldn't get away from it as much as I tried. Um, and so the retreat was similar. The retreat came about, um, I guess it's been six years now um, from when I hosted the first one that it was just totally like a fluke thing. I wanted to go on a private retreat by myself and the Lord sort of interrupted my plans and um, kind of whispered to my heart that there were other people that needed a retreat. And I kind of, you know, through a lot of prayer and and walking in what I felt like was obedience at the time, um, just explored what that meant. And he led me to hosting a retreat where 24 women joined me for um, a weekend. We had no idea what to expect. We didn't even know what we were doing. I mean, it was really just kind of like I threw it out there and said, hey, I'm doing this. Does anybody want to come? Please come. Please come. And 24 women said yes. And that was the end of it. And then we did it the one year. And then the next year I said I wasn't going to do it again because I felt like it wasn't supposed to be a thing. I just felt like it was like one time. The Lord asked me to do it. I'll do it. And that's it. And then I kept getting these weird messages where people kept saying, so when are you hosting it again? And I kept saying, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not hosting anything. It was just a one-time thing. And then it sort of hit me um, in a similar way that it had hit me through the first time that the Lord was speaking to me. He was saying, do it again. That's where like, these messages kept coming and I was just dismissing them. And then I realized like, oh my gosh, no, like something is, something is happening here. And I hosted it again, and it is a sold out event every year that I've hosted it. It sells out, and um, it's up to, we can host up to 44, 45 women now from the 24 originally. And it is just literally like a life changing weekend. I really don't know how to put the whole experience into words. It's just one of those weekends where um, I think, I believe personally that. I kind of jokingly say that God is an opportunist. And I mean it in the best possible way that when you present yourself to him and you say, I'm here, I'm here for whatever you've got. God is more than willing to show up and show you what he's got for you. And that's really what Refine looks like every time we go. It's just a bunch of women who come together and say, okay, I'm here for this weekend to spend it with the Lord and spend it in community. And God is just generous and faithful to show up and sort of, uh, kind of just change our, our hearts and minds in ways that we can't even really, you can't plan that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, for a retreat. You can organize it and you can make a schedule and do all these things. But then, you know, what happens is just beyond anything we could orchestrate ourselves. So.
1: so, and I'm fascinated by people who take the risk of starting things. I mean, that's, that's my heartbeat. Right. And I hear you telling that story and I hear you first saying, I was looking for, I mean, you got a full house like we do. And I hear you saying, I was looking for a personal private retreat. I was ready to rest. (laughs) And God said, get busy. Right? Like, so talk about the risks in that. Talk about the, you know, what, what was, what were the things that maybe scared you to death or the things that you still are scared to death by or feel like here's, here's the risks and here's how I just keep kind of pressing into those things.
0: Yeah. Oh gosh. I gotta get, I have to be really vulnerable now then because my risk, my biggest risk, I think, or my biggest fear is public failure. Mm -hmm. So anytime you put yourself out there and you say, I'm going to do this thing. I mean, whether it's like selling a piece of art or (laughs) talking somewhere, doing a public speaking event or publishing a book or whatever, you know, your hope and prayer is that people are going to show up, but you have no control over whether or not they're going to show up and you have no control over what that will look like to people outside who look in and go, oh, look at that. Nobody came to your event, you know, like, wah, wah. And so, like, you know, there's, I have a real fear around, um, you know, just failing publicly so that everyone can see me on my face. And um, I think that, I feel like it's sort of a, um, kind of a wink between me and the Lord that he's like, I know you're afraid of that, but you're gonna face it every time. Mm-hmm. And it really, it's kind of like, oh my gosh, really, we have to do this again. And it's like, yeah, you have to do it again. And um, I'm not going to lie and say it gets easier. I don't think it actually gets easier. It's different now than it was the first time. I felt like the Lord was really asking me to step into a place where I was risking um, public failure. Um, But it's always a trembling thing. I feel like it's always a trembling thing. I never step into it at any time feeling like, It's a sure thing and that it's just going to be perfectly successful or whatever. And I think that, you know, for me, talking about the heart of this book being surrender, that's my act of surrender is to say, okay, I know that there's risks involved. There's financial risks. There's huge financial risks. I mean, um, hosting an event like the retreat, the way it is now, costs a tremendous amount of money and um you know like this year was one of our first um kind of like really trial years because we just recently had to move the retreat to september it was Mm -hmm. supposed to happen in march thank you covid19 it's not (laughs) happening Um, and it has been moved to september but the financial um responsibility that's tied up in an event like that is very precarious to me and i don't I don't hold that with any kind of like um, whimsy. It's it's intense and it's scary to me to think about, you know, the losses that I could incur personally, financially for that, or, you know, the risk that's, that's involved anytime you're, you know, signing contracts with anyone. Oh, it's right. just all of that. I feel all of that and I carry all of that with a, um, with a real sense of trembling and just it's a constant place of having to trust that God is going to carry it with me or carry it for me. Um, Even though I feel like I'm doing a lot of heavy lifting, I know ultimately God is holding all of these things. But that place of trust and surrender is a constant um, battleground for me.
1: That's so good. So one of the themes I keep hearing out of all the people that we've interviewed and told these stories to is, Exactly what you're saying. Where there's there's always risk. There's always fear. You don't ever you, you don't ever show up to something and go, "Well, I think we got it this time." Like it's perpetually we're scared, right? But and and from from the better stories perspective, the better story happens when courage happens when our passion overwhelms the fear, right? So for this retreat, for the things that you're pouring yourself into, what is what is the passion that drives that? What's the passion that gets you past the fear? Or helps you press through the fear. What what is it that that makes your heart beat and come alive about the things that you're doing?
0: I think most of all is that I know um, I've experienced. For me, it's been the experience of the refining love of the Lord that has really all it literally altered my life. And once I um, went through what I kind of, it's like before and after, you know, like once I went through a, a specific season of that, which I talk a bit about in the book too, I'm, I'm living now. My life is all on the other side of that. And after I walked through that season with the Lord, I felt like everybody needs this, not, not that we want that part of walking through it, but they need what I'm experiencing on the other side of it. And so really the heartbeat, re- behind refine is just how can i help hold a door for people to come into this space so that they can live on the other side of what i'm getting to live on the other side of too because i know how good it is i know what it was to get there and it was it was hard it was so hard but i know the blessing of being on the other side of it and i want people to experience that and this is the weirdest way that i would have never thought that god would have Mm-hmm. allowed me to be in that position to hold that door for people but um it's shocking to see
2: how he uses it it's just amazing
1: that's awesome that's awesome you want anything?
2: yeah well do you yeah want to no, move go on? For sure okay perfect <laughs> i'm so new to this so this is all like asking questions is that's it's a tough one for me so um you have different work you have your retreat going on you're writing books so talk about how you integrate those worlds into the life of your family. Like, mm. how does that work for you? Yeah. What does it mean? That's a great question.
0: Um, I think it looks different in different seasons. So, you know, like during the school year, when we're working during the school year, and because I'm trying to homeschool, and um, we do not I don't have a maid, I don't have a cook, <laughs> you know, I don't have any of these things. I these things so it's it looks like um getting my kids involved especially now that they're older um trying to include them in my work um my girls especially have taken an interest in helping me with all things related to the retreat and so when it comes time to anything from like stuffing the folders or packing this the the gift bags we give to the women or whatever they want to be involved and so Um, I'm trying more and more to include them in the work that I'm actually doing so Mm -hmm. that it doesn't feel like, oh, that's mom's thing, it's separate, and they don't get to be a part of it. Um, Because they don't get to be a part of it. I mean, they can't come to the retreat, and um, writing is pretty solitary work. So Mm -hmm. that when I'm doing that work, they're pretty excluded um, from that part of my process. But once I'm on the other side and it's like, you know, we're getting books out, or, you know, I had them this year, I mean, it sounds like, I was just taking advantage of their labor. But I was like, you guys can help me stuff these envelopes. And like, this is what I'm doing. And and through it, I'm trying to show them like, this is my work. This is what I feel called to do, as well as, you know, caring for you guys and and schooling you and feeding you and all that. I also have this other thing. And you know, I won't say it's perfect. And I won't say that um, there's probably not, there's probably seasons where they're like, Oh, mom is writing again, you know, like she's unavailable and they're unhappy about that. But my hope and prayer is that they'll understand that I also live in the tension of carrying both of those things and trying to integrate it into my family life so that um, they still feel like I'm present to them, even though I'm working on other things at the same time. Awesome. It's tricky. Yeah.
1: yeah. That's yeah. good. What, and I just, I know a lot of moms who are fighting that battle, fighting the busyness, um, fighting the mom guilt. Um, yeah. s- speak to that. What, what's your message when those ladies are coming under your care, your leadership at the retreat or through your writing. What's what's kind of your message to them, your heartbeat, your passion for them that that you think maybe maybe they've neglected this part of the message of the gospel or maybe they're missing this this piece that you feel like this is this is what they need, what they need to hear.
0: Yeah, I think for that, I would say that, um, you know, when when I think about the retreat specifically, so I'm going to tie this in because I think it's relevant with the retreat. We talk about um Why do you go on a retreat? Why would you do something like that where especially moms feel guilty taking an entire weekend away to go and, you know, sit, you know, maybe sit in the presence of the Lord somewhere else and under teaching or whatever. And um, there's a lot of guilt that often goes into them leaving and coming to something like that but what i really believe and what i've experienced in my own life is that if you don't care for your own soul, if you don't take the time to nurture the things that god has put in you, then you have a really hard time pouring out for other people. And as a mom, you're pretty much always pouring out. You're like a faucet that's left on all the time. So how how can you do that? How could you even be that if you don't take a little bit of time, whether it's a, you know, a once a year four day retreat, or it's a, every, you know, other month, one Saturday you take off and you go be somewhere by yourself or whatever. I think that we have to care for ourselves and there can be guilt associated with that. But I think that that guilt is often misplaced. I think it's, um, I think it can be a tool of the enemy to make you feel shame or make you feel like you don't, you know, you shouldn't be doing these things. But I think the reality is that, um, you're not a bottomless well And if you don't take that time that you need to care for your soul, your family will suffer. Your art will suffer. Your work will suffer. Everything will suffer because of that. And so um, I think if you can like frame it that way for yourself, um, you can feel, I have come to feel less guilt about it. I mean, you know, my kids always, when it gets time to like go on retreat, um, the, the last month before we leave is always, I'm, I'm like not home. I mean, I'm, I'm here, but I'm not here because I am working so hard in that last month to get everything ready. And I just try to, I try to be honest with my kids and just tell them like, listen, this is this season. I have this month. I have to do these things. I'm getting ready to go. They know that I try to include them, but then I have to sort of kind of separate myself from feeling guilt over it because I know that I'm also doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And so my hope is that I can teach them what that looks like, even if they don't fully understand it. Um, even if it means we're all going to have to give and take in ways that maybe we don't want to. Um, but I think that for moms who are feeling guilty about caring for themselves, I think I would just encourage them to just really pray through, like, why do you, you know, why are you feeling guilty? And if it's, Founded, you know, I mean, there's always a line between like when you're overindulging and saying, "Oh, I need, you know, I need me time or whatever," and you're like always disappearing. <laughs> but you know, there's also that space where you do need to refill your your own tank. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: yeah. No, and so here's here's kind of the immediate follow up. How how can how can a husband, your husband, but the husband's support and encourage and help be part of the pouring back into that as well what do, what do the guys need to hear
0: hmm, i think that's good um i i guess i can answer this specifically for us my husband and i are polar opposites i mean the the older we get the longer we're married the more this becomes like starkly apparent and it's it's, been, it's interesting to look at us now and be like holy cow we are so different like and it's just bizarre but what has what i have learned through that is that there? We both have needs that the other person can't meet. You know, like I'm i um, I'm much more of an emotional. I'm an Enneagram four. If you're into Enneagram, mm-hmm. so I'm much more of like an, uh, like that's just how I function. Emotional tendency toward melancholy. Mm-hmm. You know, get caught up in these things. And he's very much. He's probably a six. He's never taken the test, but he's probably a six. So he's like he just functions in a very different way. He's a withdrawing personality. All that kind of stuff. So when I know I'm in a season, especially where I have a need from him to support me in some specific way, I've learned to communicate very specifically what it is I need. So I think communication is probably the biggest thing, like for women to communicate to your husband, what is it you actually need instead of asking them you know, subconsciously to figure it out for you. Tell them what you actually need from them. Find out if they can give that to you. And if not, then you can at least have a conversation about working your way to a compromise. What? How can you be supported in a way that works for you? Because the reality is the way I need to be supported isn't the way he needs to be supported. But if we don't ever talk about that, then we're both like, you know, we're just missing each other because I think he's going to support me this way. And his brain doesn't even go there. That's just not how he's wired. And um, so I think for us, the biggest issue in being supportive of him, of me and me of him is just saying, this is what I need. This would be helpful to me, this specific thing, and then naming it. And if you have other couples who are more intuitive and they can just, you know, navigate that whole terrain with a couple of glances at each other, that's awesome. We're not that couple. That's, we have to talk about it. So <laughs> that's been the biggest thing, I think.
1: Well, and and you, so you tapped into my love language of the Enneagram, right? But the that's even hard for a four to come out of that place yeah. of almost the assumption that no one's ever going to understand me. So why should I try? But I really want everyone to understand me.
0: Yes. Yeah. And that's hard. I mean, that's a legit fear. I mean, that is something that you talk about, um, you know, earlier that question about what are those places of risk, like, that's a risk that I feel all the time, that I will not be understood, that I'll be misunderstood, and therefore miscategorized or mislabeled or whatever. And that, you know, takes me down a whole other terrible spiral (sighs) that I have to, (laughs) like, don't go there. But I think that that's where, um, you know, that's where you get into, like, I don't know if you want to even go down this road, you can edit this out if you don't, (laughs) but like sin patterns, like, if you talk about, like, I don't want to be misunderstood and I'm worried that somebody's not going to understand me. I can go into a very negative assumptive place where I'm making all kinds of assumptions Mm -hmm. about what they already think about me that are unfounded because I haven't actually asked them. I'm just assuming that you're misunderstanding me and you don't like what I'm doing or you don't know how to support me or respect me or whatever but I haven't actually verbalized those things. So that's where I feel like the communication piece in saying, you know, like what I need, support that I need while writing a book looks different than the support I need when we're in like a week from going on retreat. That, you know, like then I need I need hands. I need people who are going to carry boxes. Yep. I need people who will help me sort things or whatever. When I'm writing a book, I need you to make dinner so I can stay at my desk. You know, like it's, mm-hmm. it's a totally different thing and so I think that couples just can just like words just talk to each other <laughs> tell each other specifically what you want and then try to meet each other in some place that works for both of you it's you know so good
1: yeah and, and I think we're we are as humans masters at hiding mm. and while we're hiding we want nothing more than to be found like, yeah. like, we live in that space where we want to be seen, we want to be known, and yet we're so good at hiding and withdrawing. And, yeah. you know, and, and expecting someone to figure that out is, it's just, it's hard. It's hard. That's well, really and it's good. not
0: fair. You know, that's what I realized in marriage. It, not, like, life isn't fair, whatever. We know that. But it's really not fair to expect your, your partner, your spouse to be able to read your mind and meet you in some place when you haven't articulated it to Mm -hmm. them. And you can, you can really plant some, some big nasty seeds of resentment in that territory. If you have an expectation for someone to do something that you haven't, you haven't articulated, you know, it's just, it's not right.
1: That's really good. Really good. So. Um, just a couple more questions from my end. So at, at Better Stories, we talk a lot about this, the, the kind of the, the thing we keep coming back to is rebelling against boredom, just this revolt against apathy and complacency about choosing to live more intentionally, more purposefully, um, more creatively. What did, what does that look like in your life? I think we've touched on it, but, but if you were going to speak to somebody about that idea, this, this idea of living better stories, what would your words of encouragement, challenge, calling, what, what would you say?
0: Um, I would say that I think it has to do with, um, wanting to learn and not, not gaining knowledge for knowledge sake, but like a curiosity for stoking curiosity and wonder. Um, I know that for us, that was one of the, one of the driving forces as to why we chose to homeschool is that I really wanted to give my kids a variety of ways to learn and explore and discover the world out, kind of outside the box. And, um, you know whether or not that's happening it's you know that'll be their story down the road. Whether they feel like that's that's been the end you know achievement, I don't know. But um, I think embracing curiosity and just continuing to pursue like the world is there's so many amazing things in the world, and I feel like for me personally, I there's always things I want to know. I don't even know what boredom is. Boredom is a luxury I don't have. That is not my life. Um, <laughs> I don't have time to be bored. There is always something I either want to be reading or learning or doing or discovering or encountering or whatever. And so um, I really, honestly, I wonder about boredom. I don't, I don't understand it because I feel like the world is, I mean, I don't want to like the cliche, the world is an oyster. Like, but like there's so much out there, you know, how could you ever, how could we ever get bored
2: out here?
1: (laughs) so good it's
2: endless i mean
1: that's awesome that's awesome anything you want to oh
2: i can't think of anything else so we we
1: always play a game near the end well one first first of all you have to tell me uh where can people connect with you we'll put it in the notes and in the in the post and all that stuff how can people get connected to the retreat to your writings what's what's the best way to find chris camelli
0: okay so chris And at Chris Cameli on Instagram, those are probably the two best places to find me. I'm pretty active on Instagram. Um, and the retreat is RefineRetreat.com. Okay. So, and at Refinetreat on Instagram.
2: Awesome. Wait, and most importantly, when does this book get released? Because it hasn't been released yet. I've been a lucky one no. to get an early copy, it but is. it's not been released yet. So. <laughs> April 7th, next Tuesday. Yes. That's
1: awesome. And I will say, my wife is not a reader. And I've seen her reading this book.
2: So. Yes, I'm, I am like on chapter, I think like the third part or something like that. So I'm super excited to finish it. And it's like everything that I've read so far is good. And and definitely speaks to me about surrender and just, like you said earlier, like that's so hard. It's not something that is, I think, our natural in our in us naturally to want to do like I want to control I want to be in charge I don't want to give that to somebody else so I'm very excited to be able to finish that and just reflect on that and what it means to me in my life so that's awesome yeah, well you're in chapter six so. <laughs> no, no no that's awesome I'm excited
1: <laughs> so the game, the game the game we play at the end of the the better stories interview is we put you on the hot seat and we ask five quick questions that we didn't prep you for so <laughs> Awesome. it's just fun for okay. us now i right i'm gonna fire some off you come up with any we're making them up on the spot too so okay. i always forget to write them down ahead of time so first question though is how how are you surviving the coronavirus pandemic right now what what tips would you for someone who is not bored ever and who is told to stay home and don't go anywhere how are you surviving what tips would you give
0: um, so I bought two online courses that I've been looking at for months. So there's that, um, still homeschooling and cooking. Like it is my actual job as if I was being paid for it. <laughs> Kurt actually said last night, my husband said, I think you're just showing off like how much food you're cooking right now. I feel like you're just showing off. I was like, well, you know, whatever.
1: That's <laughs> awesome. What are the courses?
0: Um, one of them is called aperture of the heart and it's hosted by joy Prouty. Who's a photographer that spoke at Refine two years ago. Um, beautiful, beautiful stuff. It's about like just sh- retraining your soul and your eye to see. So, sh- so it's a little bit photography, but also just like a spiritual element. Um, and the other one is how to build a membership site through Squarespace. Wow. Um, cause I'm working on another project. I haven't had projects. <laughs> that's, so, awesome. like, that's another project that's happening right now. <laughs>
1: that's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Second question. What, uh, what's the latest music you're listening to streaming? What do you have on repeat?
0: Okay, um, Mission House with um, Jess Ray and Taylor Lenhart and Greg Lafollette. I'm sorry,
1: I just was, came across Mission House. They're so good, yeah, so good.
0: Taylor is a good friend. She um, has been to refine. This was actually going to be her second year. She'll be there with us in September. She came and led worship last year, and um, just love her music so much. And I love Mission House. So probably, yeah, it's probably Greg Lafollette and um, Mission House right now, and some Andrew Peterson.
1: Oh, that's a good one. You got any?
2: I have one. So I know you traveled a lot as a child and lived in a bunch of different places because your dad was in the military. If you could travel anywhere right now, then Corona was not an issue. (laughs) (laughs) That's out of the picture. (laughs) Where would you go and why?
0: Okay. um, Can I just... Oh gosh, this is, I think this is an Enneagram 4 issue. I can't choose. I can't choose. <laughs> you can give us okay. a couple. It's fine. I'll give you a couple. Okay, so it would be back to Italy. I live there as a, as a little person and I would love to go back to Italy. Um, but I want to take my whole family because my kids have never seen it. So that's why I would want to go back there. Um, I have forever and always wanted to go to Ireland and have never been. And I just want to go there. So that's another one. I want to go to all the castles and uh, walk on all the big hills and all that um and then my okay so i have to give you three the last one is that i want to it is my life's goal to walk the uh camino yeah so i want to start i think i want to start in france and go all the way nice the long the long version not the the short version version. yes
1: that's awesome yes that's awesome um all right so a couple more one what is what would you say as a kind of a number one tip trick secret discipline for someone who says i want to learn to write i want to go after this i want to be a writer what would you tell them
0: read 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 and if you don't have time to read you don't have time to write
2: Mm
1: -hmm. it's incredible it's great you got any more (laughs) i don't gotta have one one really really good one
2: um, oh, do you have a favorite artist? You're like artsy person. And you are very talented yourself as an artist, even though I know you don't put that out there. You're a are talented visual artist, cook. Or writer, I'm thinking musician? like a visual artist. What kind of visual, visual artist
0: okay. do you have a favorite? Um, okay, so if it's photography and film, I would say Joy Proudy. Mm. I love her work, it is deeply moving to me. Um, and then also, um, there's an artist named Kira Hinton who I met through the Rabbit Room. Which anyways, like anybody associate with the rabbit room, there are, there's so many artists there, amazing stuff. But Kira works in inks and her stuff, she does a lot of landscapes. She actually did an entire Enneagram series, mm-hmm. which oh, you have wow. to look her up and look at her Enneagram series. But um, I just, I, there's something about her art that there's a movement to it. Um, it's just beautiful. And it's like nothing I feel like I could ever even mimic, but it's just gorgeous, gorgeous work.
2: Awesome.
1: Great. Thank you so much. Well done. We will post links to every one of those things that you've mentioned, as well as to your feeds and sites and the retreat and all that stuff. We'll put that up there. Um, Chris, we appreciate it so much. Thanks for being with us.